I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. He was born Marvin Nathaniel Hagler on May 23, 1954. And sadly, this past Saturday, March 13, 2021, Marvelous Marvin Hagler passed away very suddenly at the age of 66. I was working some very odd hours that past weekend, so when I woke up Saturday night, I initially didn't catch the news at first. I had scrolled uh, past a Facebook friend's post and saw that he had a quote from Hagler, and when I saw the hashtag RIP, it didn't register with me right away. It, it took a few seconds, and I just... I, I kind of froze, like, no, 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 go back up. I, what was that? It, it was unbelievable. I had such a hard time believing that this fighter, who in the ring was so powerful, so dominant, and utterly fearless, was now gone forever. When I got into boxing in 2004, I was in a hurry to learn anything and everything about the sport. And I don't know why this happened, but when I read about or heard a certain boxer's name, it would give me this sense of fear. Names like Mike Tyson, Terry Norris, or Julio Cesar Chavez, whatever, I don't know what it was, but if I heard or uh, saw those names, it it just gave me this, this awesome sense of fear. It's like, I don't know why anybody would want to fight them. Well, Marvelous Marvin Hagler was also one of those names. In fact, when I first watched the uh, HBO Legendary Nights episode about his fight with Thomas Hearns, it opens with uh, his title fight against Vito Antifermo. And when you when I heard Chuck Hull announce 15 rounds of boxing for the undisputed middleweight championship of the world, when I, when I first watched that and heard that clip, I got this weird chill throughout my body because the idea of going 15 rounds with someone as ferocious and intimidating as Hagler, it, it was too terrifying to think about. Which is why I probably never had any chance as a professional fighter, but that's a whole other topic. One of the things I remember uh, most about Marvin was his willingness to fight anyone, not because he was some brute who liked to punch people in the face, but rather he wanted to show people that he was the best in the world. In 1981, when Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns were preparing for their first fight, Hagler was asked who he thought would win, and he simply replied, Well, one of them will be the loser, and the other one is doomed, because the winner gets me. Unquote. In his view, he thought that as the big middleweight out there, you know, the, the only uh, people, or the only person that people would want to see him fight was the winner of this super fight between Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns. He thought that people would uh, point to them, whoever won, it would end up being Leonard, and they would say, oh, well, now you've got to fight Marvin Hagler. Aren't you going to fight Marvin Hagler? That'd be a great fight. Aren't you going to fight Hagler? It's funny, but that sort of mentality doesn't exist almost 40 years later. If a fighter wins a title at welterweight, nobody's going to be saying, well, aren't you going to move up and fight the middleweight champion? I mean, even 20 years ago, it was barely like that. Either way, Hagler was committed to his dominance, and look at that physique he had. Nary an ounce of fat on him. He literally looked like this giant black muscle that was going to come at you and destroy you. And if you're a fight fan, you see a guy like that, you expect him to do that. How disappointing would the fight with Thomas Hearns have been if Marvin had done exactly what he did in the promotion. We're, this, we're the baseball cap that says war, talk about destroying destruction, 
And then when the bell rings, he goes out and just, he outboxes Hearns to a 12-round decision that's more of a chess game than anything else. And sometimes those those kinds of fights, you know, they're, they are entertaining to watch, but sometimes some people say, you know, they're going to come out and it's going to be like Hagler versus Hearns, and it's anything but. One example that stands out to me is when Devin Alexander and Timothy Bradley fought. They had that uh, that face-off with Max Kellerman together and both of them said it was going to be like Hagler Hearns and yeah no it was just uh it was Alexander versus Bradley let's just put it that way and this is not to say that Marvin was some one-dimensional brute who could only fight one way no he, he had very good boxing ability sometimes I think people actually overlook it because of his ferociousness Another thing that always stood out to me about Marvelous Marvin was his need and desire for respect and recognition for everything he felt was due or even overdue. When he got signed by Bob Arum's top-ranked promotions, Arum got two letters in the mail from Senators Tip O'Neill and Ted Kennedy telling him to get Hagler a title shot, otherwise they were going to hold congressional hearings about it. Now think about that. You have to get this guy a title shot, otherwise the federal government is going to get on your ass. It's like, okay, you know, Bob Arum's, you know, he'll take on Don King and everybody else in boxing, but the U.S. government, no way. Forget it. It's a bit astonishing that it took Marvin 49 fights. Hell, astonishing isn't even the word. It's almost a bit embarrassing or humiliating but yes took him 49 fights before he finally earned a shot at the middleweight title so he gets that title shot his 50th fight Vito Antifermo and for the first time in his career he goes a whole 15 rounds and nobody knew if he could do this because he'd never done it before he'd only gone 12 rounds once but he showed that he could do it and he did go 15 rounds and after the fight Referee Mills Lane, he goes over to Hagler's corner and he tells his trainers, Goody and Pat Petronelli, please move to one side because when they say his name, I want to raise his hand as the victor. They go to the scorecards and it's a draw. Bob Arum, who was promoting both Hagler and Antifermo, said that he thought Marvin had won it and he thought that Vito didn't win more than four rounds. Marvin said that the draw made him meaner, stronger, more aggressive, and that from that point on, he wasn't going to leave it in the judges' hands. He was going to leave it in his own hands. His fists were going to be the judges now. And ten months later, he stopped the new middleweight champion, Alan Minter, in the third round in London, England. So the dream was real. After 50 fights, more than 50 fights, some ups and downs... Hagler had only two losses on his record at this time, and they had both been avenged in rematches. So now, it's all worthwhile. He's the new middleweight champion of the world, but things continue to not go Marvin Hagler's way. Instead of being able to celebrate his victory in the ring like he should have, the English crowd, they start throwing beer bottles into the ring. Hagler and his people had to get out of there as fast as they could. There is some debate about why the incident uh, after the fight occurred like that. Apparently, Alan Minter had said in the lead-up to the fight that he wasn't going to let any black man take his title. It's like, okay, easy there, Adolf Minter. But once he realized how Nazi, I mean, nat- nasty those comments were, he clarified and said, 
What I really said was, I'm not going to let that black man take my title. I don't know how that's any better, but either way. Regardless, Hagler came, he saw, he conquered, and now he was the champion. He made three successful defenses of his title, but something unusual happened in his fourth defense against William Caveman Lee. The fight aired on ABC's Wild World of Sports, and Hagler's team was irked by ABC refusing to refer to the champion as Marvelous Marvin Hagler, they were just referring to him as Marvin Hagler. Hagler and his people wanted to get the general public familiar with the name Marvelous Marvin, but for whatever reason, ABC wasn't cool with that. However, they were cool with constantly calling Ray Leonard Sugar Ray Leonard, and they ha certainly had no problem referring to a man born William Lee as Caveman Lee, because that's clearly not his name. You know, I would love to know why it's okay to refer to one guy as, oh yeah, we're just going to call you Caveman. Okay, I get that's his nickname, but like, don't present that as his first name. Like, they, they actually showed the graphic, Marvin Hagler versus Caveman Lee, and I'm thinking, so wait. You can put Caveman Lee, but you're not going to give the middleweight champion his preferred moniker? I, I don't understand this. So ABC told uh, Hagler's lawyer, Steve Wainwright, that if he wanted to be called Marvelous Marvin Hagler, they should go to court and get his name changed. It's almost like ABC was kind of like, there, we'll tell you that, shut up about it. And Hagler hears this and he just thinks, okay, challenge accepted. The fight with Lee took place on March 7th, 1982. It was over in 67 seconds. And the following month, on April 23rd, Marvin Nathaniel Hagler became Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And around that time, uh, around the time of the fight with William Caveman Lee, or Caveman Lee if you prefer, around that time they were talking about some super fights that could happen for Marvin Hagler. It's funny because of the names that they do mention, uh, the one that's actually absent and the one who would give him his first real big-time payday is Roberto Duran. Now Marvin Hagler is in line for a series of super fights with the three young stars moving up from the welterweight division. Present plans call for a summer defense against former WBA champion Thomas Hearns. Then possibly a fall defense against three-time champion Wilfred Benitez. And then... Perhaps the biggest payday of all against Sugar Ray Leonard. But all that is down the road. Today, he makes the fourth defense of his undisputed world title against Caveman Lee, 25-year-old middleweight, whose record of 20 knockouts and 21 wins tells you he has at least a puncher's chance against the champion. Again, it's like, so wait, you can call him Caveman Lee, but you can't call the middleweight champion of the world marvelous. I... Okay, I mean, it's your network. I mean, you do some pretty dumb things with it, but that's a whole other topic. Now, not to get off topic, but um, beside me, I've got the very good book Four Kings by George Kimball, and it's about the fights that uh, Leonard, Duran, Hagler, and Hearns all had with each other. There was almost a fifth king, and he was mentioned in that uh, little audio clip you heard, and that was Wilfred Benitez. They mentioned that there were talks of a fight with him in 1982, but it never happened. Instead, Benitez ended up facing Thomas Hearns, and Benitez ended up losing his junior middleweight championship, and unfortunately, that was the beginning of the end for Benitez. 
And I've always wondered how, if Benitez, you know, if he had trained or maybe didn't train properly, because he said for the fights with uh, Leonard and Hearns that he only trained for about a week. But I always wondered, okay, how would the best of Wilfred Benitez do against Marvin Hagler at middleweight? It's really interesting to think about. Now, initially, they were going to go ahead in 1982 with the defense against Thomas Hearns, but Hearns suffered a hand injury, and Marvin Hagler was not too pleased. Hagler saw Hearns in his future as far back as 1982. They were scheduled to meet, but a Hearns hand injury intervened. My corner never been for injury. When I go in there, I want to be in tip-top condition and great health. Finally, the fight was canceled. Hagler was livid. And he was going to make $2 million. He turned down $2 million. The first beginning, Ray, he started complaining about his little baby pinky. You know how many people will give a million dollars for that little baby pinky? They cut that thing off. Hagler's first big money fight came in 1983 against Roberto Duran. Usually he was just making around a million dollars per fight as champion, which is around over three and a half million dollars today when you adjust for inflation. Uh, compare that to his first title fight against Vito Antifermo, where he made only $40,000, which is close to $145,000 today. Also compare that to Sugar Ray Leonard, because $40,000 is what he made in his professional debut. Either way, for this fight against Duran, Marvin Hagler made $5 million, along with a percentage of revenue. Now, just the $5 million alone... That's $13 million when you adjust for inflation. This was Hagler's only successful title defense where he went the full distance. But Duran did not make it easy. Both of them uh, fought the early parts of this fight like they were expecting each other to bring the fight to the other guy. And each of them were looking for an opportunity to counterpunch. After 13 rounds, one judge had it even and two judges had Duran ahead by one point. Hagler was being told that there was a lot riding on this, so he closed the show and was able to come on and win the final two rounds and the fight. But like I said before, it wasn't easy. Hagler was bleeding, one of his eyes was swollen, but he showed that, uh, you know, he is the best middleweight in the world. And as one writer from Sports Illustrated put it, oh, okay, look, Roberto Duran is a fighter for the ages, okay? I recently picked up the Sports Illustrated issue, which covers that fight. The article's really good, and I have to say, I just love the quality of pictures they have. Again, not to get off topic, but it's a bit stupefying to me how Sports Illustrated can have these beautiful, beautiful pictures in their magazines. And Ring Magazine, like even in the late 90s they were doing this, most of their photos were in black and white. I just... I can't understand that, but either way. So a few more defenses happen, and then in 1985, the fight that he's wanted for years finally happens. Marvelous Marvin Hagler versus Thomas Hearns. There's a whole lot of behind-the-scenes drama in the lead-up to the fight, like each man wanting to fly on a certain uh, private airplane, the amount of press conferences they had to do. It, it's really interesting. In fact, uh, the two of them shot a commercial prior to the fight where they're in a boxing ring, and just as the ref is giving instructions and they're about to fight, 
they stop, they turn to the camera, and they let everyone know, hey, be sure to file your income tax before April 15th, which is the day of the fight. As you can see, Kearns and I are going to be very busy on April 15th. That's why we already filed our income tax return. If you file now, you're less likely to overlook deductions. Or make last-minute mistakes. And if you got a refund coming, you're going to get it faster. So file now. And on April 15th, everyone can just sit back and relax. Everyone but you, Hearns. Also, a little backstory. When this fight was originally scheduled for 1982... It was to take place in the county that I grew up in. The fight was originally scheduled to take place in Windsor, Ontario on May 24th of 1982. And as much as I love Windsor, as much as I love Windsor, Essex County, Canada, I'm kind of... It makes sense that it... Or no, it does not make sense to take place in Windsor, okay? I think for a big fight like that, it has to be in something like Las Vegas, okay? Marvin Hagler, in the lead-up to the fight, wore this bright red baseball cap that simply said, War. And it truly symbolized what he felt. I, I think red was, was the appropriate color because it represented the fury that Hagler felt towards Hearns and maybe other things, like the fact that he had to wait so long for a title shot while fighters like Leonard and Hearns were getting them less than three years after turning pro and already becoming superstars. That's what I feel. War. That's what's on my mind. I've been feeding the faith and I've been starving the doubt. So there's no doubt in my mind that I can't win this fight or that I won't knock Thomas Hearns out. Some of you have probably seen the history videos that I've done for past fights like Pacquiao versus De La Hoya or even Hearns versus Duran. I thought long and hard about doing one for Hagler versus Hearns, but in all honesty, I don't think anything that I could say about it would be of any benefit. It's arguably one of the best fights of all time, has probably the best and most even first round I've ever seen. There's so much that's been said about it, and they're going so fast that it's hard to keep track of who's throwing what and when. There's the, the famous moment, which has almost become a bit legendary in and of itself, when in the third round, Richard Steele pauses the action a minute into the round, and he uh, has Hagler get checked out by the ring doctor because of a cut on Hagler's forehead. And apparently, according to legend, the doctor asks Hagler if he can still see, and Marvin replies, well, I'm not missing him, am I? It's funny, but it's also a bit apocryphal. If you go and you actually watch th uh, that part of the fight, there's barely any of any time for an exchange of dialogue. It it's so short. The doctor says he can see, let him go and fight. And at that point, it's almost a bit moot because you can tell that from the blood streaming from his face that Hagler is actually getting a bit meaner. The knockout comes, and as big a fan of Thomas Hearns as I am, it's a fight I still have mixed emotions about. I love Tommy Hearns, favorite fighter of all time. I don't know how the hell he could even stand after getting knocked down like that, but the fact that he still beat the referee's count showed how much heart he had. Uh, one thing I also like about the fight is that after it's done, Hagler's declared the winner, you see the two of them hugging it out, they're smiling, they're laughing, all the animosity that they had, it's all gone, and now they kind of realize, okay, 
we can be friends now because we're a part of history. Hagler and Hearns would make appearances together, and they'd always be smiling. You could tell that they had a lot of respect for each other. I do give a lot of respect for Tommy at this moment, behind the fact that, you know, he came to fight. He showed me great skills and a lot of courage. That was the fight, that victory. That's what made him a true superstar, one that transcended boxing. So even if you didn't watch or follow boxing, you still knew who Marvelous Marvin Hagler was. And after that, you see him doing all sorts of commercials for Diet Coke, Right Guard, Pizza Hut. It made him a global celebrity. One should grab oneself one of these Right Guard sports sticks because one would hate to be considered malodorous by one's chums. So in 1985, when it's all said and done, he's declared Fighter of the Year. The fight with Hearns is declared the Fight of the Year. He actually, that's the only time he fought in 1985. He was supposed to fight again in the fall, but uh, he suffered an injury uh, due to, uh, I believe it was a back injury, and he also suffered a broken nose during a sparring session. But he comes back in 1986, and he has this fight with the unbeaten John the Beast Mugabe, a fighter who had won every fight by KO. After 11 grueling rounds, Hagler is finally able to drop Mugabe. And Mugabe, it, it, he, he actually starts sitting up, but he just lets the referee reach the count of 10 because he realizes, I can't beat this guy. I can't beat Marvin Hagler. And everybody is watching that. It's exciting. But there was somebody in the crowd that night who was watching, and when it was all done, he said, I want to fight Marvin Hagler. And that man was Sugar Ray Leonard. The two came close to getting a fight between them made in 1982. But after suffering a detached retina, Leonard made this big announcement in an arena, made sure that Marvin Hagler was there, and the way he was talking, because there was speculation about whether he was going to announce his retirement or if he was going to say that he was going to fight Hagler because the way he's talking about it, he, he I've shortened the clip, but Leonard's talking about how there's more money to be made in this fight than there is in all of Fort Knox. You think that he's actually going to say, you know, I'm going to fight Marvin Hagler and that's going to be my last fight, win, lose, or draw. But, you know, he goes to make the announcement and then... A fight with this great man, this great champion... Marvelous Marvin Hagler could be one of the greatest fights in the history of boxing. But unfortunately, it'll never happen. So fast forward five years later, Leonard had attempted a comeback in 1984. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't go too badly for him, but it didn't go too great. He was knocked down by journeyman Kevin Howard, was able to rally to stop Howard, but afterwards he just said, you know what, forget it, I'm retiring again. So here we are in 87, he's unretired, retired, retired again, and now he's unretiring and he's calling out Hagler. And this time, Marvelous Marvin was content to let Leonard wait. He even hinted that, you know what, maybe I'm going to retire. But in the end, he agreed to the fight, and he agreed to a lot of stipulations that Leonard wanted. The fight and its outcome are still up for debate to this day. I see so many people who have tremendous, if not repetitive, arguments about who won and why. 
Hell, I've watched the fight a few times. One time I watched it with non-English commentary. I think it was in Japanese. And it looked very clear to me that it was Sugar Ray Leonard who won the fight. And there are other times where I've watched and I thought, oh, well, this fight was clearly a victory for Marvin Hagler. There are so many people who thought Hagler won it. I'm not just talking about fight fans. I'm talking about journalists who watch the fight. This was very, very split. Even I've even heard uh, Ray Leonard's wife at the time, Juanita, say that she thought that Hagler won the fight. But in the end, Marvin Hagler lost a 12-round split decision to Sugar Ray Leonard, ending his middleweight championship reign of six years, six months, and ten days. He wanted a rematch and called for one, but in the end, he never got it. And in 1988, he announced his retirement from the sport. Unlike the other four kings, Duran, Hearns, and Leonard, when Marvin Hagler retired, he stayed retired. There was never any comeback to try to recapture lost glory, and thankfully for Marvin, no embarrassing humbling mismatches against up-and-comers whom he would have disposed of with ease in his prime. When he said he was done, he was done. And the thing is, he, he could have gotten some very big paydays without the help of Sugar Ray Leonard after that fight. After the fight, Leonard retired and the WBC middleweight championship was vacated, and eventually won by Thomas Hearns. Hagler could have announced that he wanted a rematch with Hearns, and that would have sold out. That would have made money no matter where you said it. Even if you had it take place in Windsor, Ontario, of all places, the fight would have sold out. It would have been watched by everybody around the world. Or, you know, he could have tried to make a match with the man who would eventually take that title off of Hearns, and that's Aran Barkley. And a fight between Aran Barkley and Marvin Hagler, that would have been pretty cool for, for however long it would have lasted. But he didn't do any of that. His final record stands at 62 wins, 3 losses, 2 draws, with 52 KOs. And by way of rematch, and with the exception of Sugar Ray Leonard, he beat every opponent he ever faced. Now, funny enough, uh, just a month after Hagler announced his retirement, Sugar Ray Leonard announced that he was going to be making another comeback against Donnie Lalonde. My own thoughts on Marvin's strategy in that fight was that he didn't fight in his usual style at first. Early in the fight, he comes out uh, in a orthodox stance instead of his usual southpaw style, something he did against John Mugabe. And I think that was to show Leonard that not only was he going to beat him, but that he wasn't even going to do it in his natural stance. He was going to show that I'm so superior to you skill-wise that I can fight you as a right-handed fighter, and I'll beat you. I, I think he wanted to do that, but also make it an hour of torture for Ray Leonard. I think he wanted to make it a humiliating experience for him, and that's why he didn't come out and fight him like he did against Hearns. But then again, maybe he couldn't. Some people said that after the Mugabe fight that Hagler wasn't the same fighter he used to be, Heck, Sports Illustrated actually noted this and picked Leonard to win the fight. There's so much to discuss about that fight, and in my opinion, that's what makes it a great fight. He moved to Italy and stayed out of the spotlight for the most part. A lot of people say that he went on to become a movie star, but if you look at his IMDb page, he only appeared in four films. 
I haven't seen any of Marvin's movies, and maybe I'll do that for the podcast one day, who knows. But I did see the trailer for uh, his film, Indio 2, The Revolt. Now, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, this doesn't look like it was a good, uh, contender for any Oscars that year. But one thing that surprised me about Marvin was that he didn't try going to Hollywood. You might think I'm a bit crazy here, but ju just hear me out. I think he could have had a decent career there if he really tried. If you watch that commercial for the income tax uh, thing on YouTube with Tommy Hearns, you can tell that he's got presence and he sounds more natural when reading his lines. I know that he's not as big as somebody like an Arnold Schwarzenegger in terms of uh, stature or star power, but you could have put Marvin Hagler in the movie Commando, and I think it still would have worked. But that's just my opinion, and you know what? That's not what Marvin wanted. He wanted to do things his way. I also heard that he was considered for the role of Reuben Hurricane Carter in the film The Hurricane. And that role ended up going to Denzel Washington. And I always, I've always thought, what would that film have been like if Marvin Hagler was playing Carter? I mean, who knows? It's a great what-if question. He showed up sometimes at boxing events, and he would give his opinion on aspects of the sport. But for the most part, afterwards, he kept a low profile. In the past week since he's died, I've seen many videos and tributes to him. And... It's a bit sad that he's not around to see all this. In his day, Marvin Hagler felt that he wasn't given the respect he deserved, and I wish he could see how emotional people are now that he's gone. So what can you say about marvelous Marvin Hagler? Was he the best middleweight of his era? No doubt. Was he sometimes a victim of bad luck? Certainly. Did he ever do anything to tarnish his image as a great champion or a great human being? Nothing that I've been able to detect. Was he underappreciated while he was champion? It's very likely. Did he ever put on a boring fight? I've yet to see one. Was he the greatest middleweight champion of all time? You could certainly make a compelling argument. Will he ever be forgotten? No. There have been many middleweight champions in the decades since his retirement. Some have held the title for longer than he did. Some have made more defenses. There will be middleweight champions for decades to come, so long as boxing is around. But no middleweight champion will ever come close to being as marvelous as Marvin Hagler was. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening. Thank you, marvelous Marvin Hagler. I want to prove to the world that I am one of the greatest. I think Monzon was the last great middleweight champion. But when I'm done with this game, I would like to go down in history as the same way.